Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Slate Money is brought to you by BowlandBranch.com, the company that makes luxury betting affordable. Order right now and they'll give you 20% off plus free shipping. Get sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, and more at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com and use the promo code MONEY. And by Texture, the mobile app that lets you tap directly into the world's most popular magazines anywhere, using your phone or tablet. Dive deeper into Vogue, People, Esquire, Time, and hundreds more with interactive content for a richer reading experience. Right now, try Texture for free at texture.com slash slate money. And by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code MONEY. Hello, and welcome to the Brain in a Vat edition of Slate Money, your guide to the business and finance news of the week. I am Felix Salmon of Fusion. I'm joined by, I'm going to do it the other way around this week, I'm joined by Slate's Moneybox columnist, Jordan Weissman. Hello, Felix. I am also joined by Tampon Lady. Thank you. Um <laughs> And and professional plaintiff Kathy O'Neill. Hi, how's <laughs> Hi, it going? Tampon, um, so, Kathy O'Neill is. We're going to come to this in a minute. Kathy O'Neill is is uh, is filing a lawsuit, um, and and in the lawsuit it explains what Kathy who Kathy O'Neill is, and it talks about how you're a data scientist and a blogger, and it says nothing about slate money. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I felt I feel excluded and left out. Yeah, well, I do have other parts of my life that I don't. Clearly, clearly, sleep money is not an important part of your <laughs> That's life. That's not true. At yeah, all. I thought it was like your your hierarchy was like blogger, data scientist, podcast host, mother. Like that was <laughs> the hierarchy. It changes day to day. Um, but, but but number one is tampon lady. We're going to yes. come to this. Actually, why don't we just? I feel like um, before we come to this, I just need to because because. The one and only Audrey Quinn, yeah. the producer of this podcast. She's amazing. Um, didn't understand why I'm calling this the Brain in a Vat episode. 
because she's not a philosopher. So for those three listeners out there who aren't philosophers, basically you are looking around you and seeing the world and you have the justified true belief that the world exists and that means you know that the world exists. But do you really know that the world exists? Because couldn't you just be a brain in a vat and then some crazy mad scientist is attaching various electric wires to your brain and I mean, this making is the, this you This is the think. Matrix. This is, yeah, I was going to say, you don't have to be a philosopher. You just have to have seen the Matrix. Seen the Matrix. It's like taking Descartes and like, I think, therefore I am. But like, okay, but you don't know anything other than you are. That's it. So, yes, this whole fiction that you have there are three real people who record this podcast every week and they <laughs> exist in flesh and blood and talk into microphones is just a figment of an evil scientist. I, I think that we should just also clarify for listeners that we're talking about uh, value-added taxes today as well, otherwise this, known as this is This is, I mean, quite aside from philosophical digressions we are going to basically spend the entire podcast talking about sales tax, which is not nearly as boring as it sounds. Um, Kathy. Yeah, I'm going to make it real interesting. Because we're talking you, about could, tampons. So to be clear, I'm a, one of the lead plaintiffs, there are six lead plaintiffs on this class action uh, complaint that was filed by a very prominent New York law firm, which I can't pronounce the name, but it's a, something along the lines of, hey, you know what? You're, a, you're, a, you're married to a lawyer. Let me see. I might know them. Let me see. <laughs> Who is this law firm? Um... Emery Selly or Emery Chelly Brinkerhoff and Abadi. I actually don't know them. But. Okay, well they're they're amazing. They represent like Tamir Rice. Oh, cool. Um, and so they just like sue people for money. They're litigators. They're civil. It sounds like they're civil civil rights civil crusaders. Rights crusaders. Yeah. Do yeah. you have the civil right to a tampon? Is that what you're saying? Um, it's not exactly what we're saying. Well, what what's this What's this suit about? <laughs> what this suit is about is uh, the claim that they are illegally taxing tampons in New York State. It's illegal to put sales tax on tampons. Correct. Wow. Why? Explain to us. Uh, because it's discriminatory and because um, there's a category of things that are exempt from taxes that uh, this should be part of. And it's clear that it should be part of. So the fact, basically, when you have, and I'll give you a long list of ex- things that are, are exempt, but they're they're. They're consumer products that men and women use. So so basically our argument is when you have a consumer health product that men and women use, it's exempt. But when only women use it, it's not exempt. Therefore, it's discriminatory. Interesting. So you can give me some examples of things that are exempt from tax. Chapstick. Chapstick is exempt. Um, anything about um, like Rogaine. Rogaine's exempt. What's um, Rogaine? Rogaine is a kind of a magical tool you use to keep your hair to, to, so mostly men use if you're, it. If you're, wait, Felix, have you actually never had to worry about your hair to the degree that you, you've never even looked at Rogaine? I, I genuinely have no idea what Felix, Rogaine is. Felix has good okay, hair. So that that's remarkable, Felix. You might be literally the only man I know who does not know what Rogaine is. I envy you. Okay, but hang on a second. Let, 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 let me just one, right. give one more example. Category of a um, couple more examples. Any kind of dandruff shampoo, okay, which, you know. Okay, and then the most important example is um, incontinence pads. So incontinence pads are like for people who have trouble, you know, with urinate, urination leakage. Um, those are, are tax exempt, but sanitary napkins are not. So the idea is all these are supposed to be san- these are all supposed to be medical necessities that are tax exempt, and it they se- don't it consider. Seems to me that, I mean, it seems to me that there's like an arbitrary list of things which are tax exempt and you're like well it's pretty arbitrary so we should put tampons in there too because why not i'm not quite sure how that rises to the level of illegal 
Well, we're just arguing that the interpretation of the law is wrong. Well, yeah. So that's if you're, what it means to be. Illegal. So if, you, if you're saying so wait, that, so, wait, so the law isn't like a a schedule where it sort of says Rogaine and incontinence pads, but not I don't know toilet paper and Mars bars. It's, exactly. It, it, it's not a list. It's it, it, although Mars bars might be tax exempt because all sorts of weird products and candies and potato chips are. But the the let me let me let me think about it. Let me present it this way. By default, everything is is taxed, and then there are exceptions. And the the, the exception in this case for medically necessary um, consumer products was carved out in like 1998 or something along those lines. And they started making a list, and they just never put in tampons and sanitary pads. So we're just like, put it in, put it in the list. Okay, but you're saying you're not just saying put it in. You're actually saying it's illegal to not put it in. We're saying we interpret this law to mean this should be in because it's medically necessary. We're making the case that it's medically necessary, therefore it's illegal to interpret it otherwise. Yeah, so I have, so I, I'm intrigued because the way these laws often work is like you have a legislature come down and say, we're, you know, medically necessary things are going to be exempt. And then some regulator comes by and is like, okay, here's what's, regu- here's what's medically necessary. How did this list get compiled? Was it, was it just a bunch of legislators saying these are things considered medically necessary, so we're going to add them to the legislation itself? Or is there some like regulator out there who's put together this list? I don't know the process. I'm not an okay. expert. But I just I do want to come back to the, the squeamishness issue. Um, okay. <laughs> I've noticed, like, I talk about this a lot. Mostly men, and I'm, I'm not talking about you guys. You guys are amazing. But, like, mostly men are just like, oh, like, like clo- I'm closing my eyes. I don't want to think about this. Basically, the argument, our, you know, our argument is, it's not a legal argument. It's a, it's a socio, uh, socio argument, sociological argument, is that, like, men have been legislators. They've been making this list. And because they don't like to think about women having their periods, they haven't bothered to think about it. They simply don't want to think about it. So it's not on the list. So it's- that, that ex- totally makes sense to me from a... Um, a sort of like path dependency analysis here. The reason why tampons didn't make it onto the list is just because the male legislators don't like thinking about tampons. Right, and, but they do. They are willing to think about ma- male pattern baldness. Yeah, I, I'm still getting a little bit hung up, frankly, on this whole idea that medically necessary things should be tax exempt in the first place. Because I mean, was this some kind of bizarre attempt to bend the cost curve and reduce the you know the cost of medical things in our lives? It seems a kind of randomly weird way of doing that. Well, well I think the argument is that you you know you can't you can't like maybe it is a way of of lowering the burden on people who are already having trouble paying for things that that are obviously actually necessary for their their quality of life. Yeah, I imagine that a, a sales tax on medicine, for instance, on prescription drugs or whatnot, is going to fall disproportionately on the elderly. I mean, I... I, I and poor people, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but especially people who have to take drugs more often than the the general population. So it's literally going to be a tax that falls mostly on the sick and elderly, and that that's not a good look. I mean, look at it, look at it this way. Sales tax is already a regressive tax, right? It falls more on poor people because they spend much more of their income. Then on top of it, like, poor people tend to buy tampons, which are expensive items, not in bulk. So that makes it, they're, they're already paying more for tampons than they're paying more sales tax. So it's a super regressive tax. Um, by the way, tampons are also not purchasable through food stamps. So it's like tampons, for some reason, are just this category of things where people, uh, sort of the law is pretending it's not a necessary item. Interesting. Which it obviously is. Which, which, it, which is going, which brings me to this 
sort of weird flight of fantasy that you and I had on Twitter yesterday, which was like the women of New York all up and proving to the men that these are a necessary um, item by, by pulling a Lysistrata on the city, city of New York and just like going for like a day or a month without using yes. tampons. I know. It's like when you talk about the concept of necessary, you're, 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 you're assuming there's a risk. So I want us to, as a thought experiment, to compare the risk of society going out with, going without Rogaine for, <laughs> for a year versus our society going without tampons and sanitary Shane, pads Shane for Shane Farrow, who has been on this podcast in the past, um, even managed to come up with the name for this thought experiment, which is The Day That New York Bled. Oh, <laughs> oh God. And I'm just telling okay, you, like, here's, and scrolling. this is when it becomes so, and thank you for that, um, that image. Um, <laughs> it, this is where it becomes so obviously a medical issue. You know, if you, if you ever talk to a doctor, they will go on and at length about how much trouble they have to go to to dispose of blood, yeah. sa- like safely. But for some reason, this doesn't count. Um, wait, Felix, what is Lysistrata? I'm not familiar. Yeah, just, just explain it. Yeah, explain that. <laughs> what is Lysistrata? Oh, my God. So we have people who don't know about philosophy. We have people who don't know about Greek theater. Lysistrata is a Greek play about a group of women who got so fed up with the um, war that they decided to basically go on sex strike. Yes. And they said, unless you guys stop killing each other, you don't get any sex. And it worked, right? And it worked. I feel like that's... Um, I, I feel like that's definitely uh, inspired some... Per- I actually used to have an old poster that said, girls say, from the 60s, it said, girls say yes to boys who say no. So it was like, say no to the draft. So I feel like that sort of like must have inspired a few protests since and then, in right? In fact, it inspired the latest Spike Lee film, Chirac, oh, d- is, a, is, is a remake of Lysistrata. Oh, interesting. Can we just talk about one tampons just for one more second? Okay, well, one more tampon fact okay. before we move on to I the I just want to say, head. I'm very proud to be part of this suit. I think it should be a national thing, but it's not enough. Like, honestly, I can't tell you how many times I have needed a tampon in the middle of a day of work or, you know, uh, giving talks or teaching. It's just ridiculous. We should have tampons in every bathroom, just like toilet paper. That seems fair. Thank you. Maybe I'm, not the men's bathrooms. Why Maybe, not? Well, it's arguable, depending. It's arguable. Yeah. Okay, so um, on which note, I'm going to segue seamlessly into a <laughs> Ball and Branch ad. This is exactly what Ball and Branch wants to follow, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> the day New York bled. Ball and Branch... Ball and Branch are the people who make your sheets. And if they don't make your sheets, they should be the people who make your sheets because they make great sheets. And you get their great sheets by going to ballandbranch.com. And you get cheaper great sheets if you put the promo code money into the website when you go to ballandbranch.com. So that's the short version. The slightly longer version is that these are kind of the best sheets in the world. And it's not just sheets. It's duvet covers. It's pillows. It's pillowcases. It's towels. They are made without any kind of squeamish feeling labor. So, like, if you you, know, you don't have to feel squeamish about women having periods. You don't have to, have to feel squeamish wow. about, about, you know, people being mistreated in cotton fields. These are really good, really high-quality cotton, really high thread count. They're super soft. If you, you have to wash them a couple of times before you um, decide if you want to keep them, but you do get 30 days to decide if you want to keep them or not. And if you don't want to keep them, you just send them back. It's all f- free shipping, super easy, super convenient. Um, 
bollandbrunch.com, B-O-L-L and brunch.com, promo code MONEY, gets you 20% off. So that's a good deal. Um, so what I want to do now is expand this talk of sales tax much more broadly, because while Kathy is obsessed with Picayune exceptions to this thing. We have someone else in the world of public discourse who basically wants to slap a massive sales tax on everything in the country. His name is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. So, yeah. um, sales tax. And what, what is what is he talking about? And I actually know exactly what he's talking about because I'm a European. Yeah. So this is this is a fascinating kind of subplot going on in the presidential election um, for. A long time, uh, I'd say American liberals mostly, have liked the idea of creating some sort of value-added tax in the U.S. And Americans are pretty much the only people who don't know what value-added taxes are. Uh, every industrialized country has a VAT. Uh, even non-industrialized countries have VATs. They're, they're incredibly widespread. Um, and what, what is a VAT, pretty simply? It's basically a sales tax, but it's special in the sense that it's collected at each stage of the production line. So, like, if a hog farmer sells um, some pigs to Hormel, you know, to make bacon, Hormel is going to pay some of the VAT on that. When Hormel sells its bacon to Walmart, it's go- Walmart's going to pay some of the it's VAT. Just, it, but it's basically yeah. a sales tax that when, yeah. when Hormel pi- buys the pigs, it pays tax. Exactly. And, and then when the next thing on the chain happens, they pay tax on, like, the increase in price. Exactly. And the idea is that it all in the end economically gets passed on to the consumer. That's more or less it's so it's a it's a sales tax with some complications to make sure the government gets all of its money that no one kind of cheats on it. I just want to just because I haven't thought about this until this week. So to really clearly delineate that system you just described from our system. Yeah. All you have to do is walk down like 30th or 28th Street in New York City, and there's like a million jewelry stores that say, oh, we sell to wholesalers with no taxes. So if you happen to be somebody who deals in in jewelry, you you can buy this stuff without tax. But if you're just a consumer, you have to pay sales tax. So we do not have, I don't know if that was a perfect yeah, explanation. Yeah, it's, it's a really good example. Basically, not everyone pays sales tax in this country. In fact, most people don't pay sales tax in this country. If you're a corporation buying stuff from another corporation, there's no sales tax exactly. added. Where, and the only people who wind up paying sales tax most of the time are the poor schlubs like you and me in, right. in, the, in a store. The well, end consumers well, in this country, the end consumers, well, actually, only them. So no, that's actually... Yeah, so it's so start, start again. Um, so that's that's not entirely true. So with a VAT, it actually is supposed to be just the end consumer paying for it. the The cost of the tax gets passed along the entire chain of production, but it, that's really just an administrative thing. It's to make sure that right. the the government gets its money. But theoretically, it is supposed to just be in, the in end any consumer. case. It's it's not probably not worth getting too caught up on the yeah. difference between VAT and sales tax. They're basically the same yeah. thing. Um, what's interesting is this idea that Ted Cruz has, which is you can basically abolish all corporate income tax and a whole bunch of other taxes and replace it with one nationwide sales tax. Yeah, and that's what's fascinating here. So for a long time, this was kind of taboo in Republican politics because, again, the VAT's very popular in Europe, and a lot of conservatives have looked at of that as sort of a secret tax, a secret money-making machine that was, you know, once it was in place, liberals could quietly ratchet it up because people aren't going to know exactly how much VAT they're paying all the time. Why, why is it secret? I it's, mean, why do people think it's because, so secret? Because, because it's built into the chain of, you know, value addition. So 
when you buy something in Europe, you don't really know how much of that is taxed. I, again, I, I don't fully agree with that. I think conservatives kind of fear this a little too much because in the, I mean, when you're in Europe and you get a receipt, it shows you how much VAT you're paying, like a sales tax receipt in the U.S. I mean, people aren't unaware of it. They, they know about this. Uh, but that, that is a conservative fear, that so, it's going to be a secret tax. And, and, conservatives, and conservatives in general really hate new taxes because introducing a new tax is really difficult, but increasing an existing tax is a lot easier. So they don't want to just create a new knob or dial which can be ratcheted up by those evil liberals. So Ted Cruz has kind of broken this taboo in a way, and he's alarmed a lot of people on the right by doing it. Um, and his plan essentially is he wants it to bring in this new VAT, which he's trying to hide the fact that it's a VAT. He's calling it a corporate flat tax. And you can get really kind of in the weeds about how he's structuring the thing to kind of hide the fact that it's a sales tax. It's actually inspired by Japan's version. Japan is really idiosyncratic. It has this weird version of the VAT, and he's more or less copying theirs. That's the, the short version of what he's doing because it's a little bit more invisible. So it's kind of ironic that one of the most conservative guys in the race is trying to create the most invisible ta a new tax to, to levy on Americans. Um, but then what he would do is, again, get rid of the corporate income tax that exists now. He would reduce uh, income taxes to a flat 15% tax. You know, would this would the VAT then pay for all that? No, it would still lose lots of money. But it is kind of reviving this debate about are consumption taxes a preferable to some kinds of income taxes. And so the difference between a consumption tax and an income tax is, is quite obvious. Um, for most of us, it's not that difficult different. For most of us, we earn money and then we spend it on stuff. And the amount we spend is more or less the same as the amount we earn. And if there's a tiny little difference, it's the amount we go into debt that year or the amount that we save that year. Um, but for rich people, the difference can be quite large. But in general, the, the differences in income taxes, obviously, a, a tax on money you earn, a consumption tax is a tax on money you spend. And this is the weird thing that the Europeans who have had this consumption tax, this sales tax for as long as I can remember, um, are generally considered to be these kind of, you know, socialist places where they redistribute wealth and stuff. But a consumption tax is much more regressive than an income tax. Yeah, and yeah. so I'd like and to... So, and so the yeah. European way of doing... This is one of the few areas where the European way of doing things is actually more regressive than the American way. If if I might just dumb down the conversation a little bit for the listeners and for myself, um, I want to think of the tax system as this just enormous input and output machine. So you, you just take money from all the people who live in the country and then you give money for various services, right? So all these arguments are more or less taking in, let's just say, a similar amount of money. So the question is, and I know it's a little bit less than we currently take in, but just imagine it's about the same amount of money. So the question is, who is it taking more from and who is it taking less from? Yeah, I think that's that's about right. I mean, we talk about how tax burden is distributed across the economy. Who Who is not just how much are we collecting taxes, but who's paying it? Why the system is still progressive in the end in Europe is that even though they have a, a kind of flatter tax base, they collect from a broader swath of the population because of things like the VAT, they have more progressive benefits. You know, they do more to help the poor. And so that's how it works out. That's actually a criticism a lot of people um, 
levy uh, or uh, kind of target at American progressives is that we're determined to just tax the rich and then give benefits to the poor, which is that's not really how it works in other parts of the world. One other thing to add is you'll often hear economists say um, that they like consumption taxes more than income taxes uh, because income taxes are, quote, biased against savings. Right. And this is like one of those really interesting econ speak things that I think confuses a lot of people. Um, and you kind of just need to cut through it. What they're really saying there is that they're not even talking about income taxes as you and I think of them. You and I think of our income taxes as what we pay on our wages. Right. What they're really saying, talking about there are like capital gains taxes. When they talk about that, or economists are telling you is that, well, when you tax capital gains, that means you make less money off your investments. And so it means you want to save and invest a little less. Whereas if you just tax consumption, you have every reason to you know, save that money instead, because that money is going to you know, have a higher rate of return. Um, and it's this funny thing that it makes it sound, we're really the value judgment. It's really a value judgment in the end, which is more important. Do we tax consumption, which is uh, you know, helpful, for, which is going to probably lay a little bit more heavily on the poor, or do we tax things like returns on bonds and stocks? And, so you know, that, that, yeah. that brings up the other layer, I, the only other layer I can really understand about taxes beyond, like, taking in money, giving out money, which is that we also can use taxes to to give motivation for a certain kind of behavior. Right? And this is the general thing, way that taxes work, especially in Europe, but to a certain degree in the U.S. as well, is that you want to tax the things that you want less of and not tax the things you want more of. So... If we want people to have medical necessities, then we don't tax medical necessities. Yeah. If we want less um, carbon emissions, then maybe we tax carbon emissions. And in, if we want less high-frequency trading, we tax, we tax high-frequency trading. And so that's one way to look at a VAT or a sales tax. Is like is this way exactly as Jordan says that is is trying to persuade people to spend less. It's very Puritan in its own way and saying you shouldn't be spending your money. You shouldn't just be wasting your stuff your your income on stuff. You should be saving it and investing it in the economy. And that's a little bit weird because someone has to spend money otherwise yeah. you don't have an economy. It's especially weird right now. Um like theoretically savings is long-term going to spur more growth because the more savings there are, the lower interest rates are going to be and the more companies can borrow to them, you know, build factories or whatever, do R&D. But we're like in this weird period where we're looking at permanently, maybe permanently low interest rates from here into the horizon. And we really, really, really need more spending in the economy. And so we're having this, suddenly having this conversation, so we should tax consumption instead, which is just, it's like, this is probably the worst time possible to be having this specific conversation. Maybe it's like in a theoretical economy, long term, it's a good idea. And in a theoretical economy, like the poorer people have the ability to save and not buy the stuff that they're buying. But right now, they're in a crunch. Well, the good news is that no root and branch tax reform is ever going to happen because these things are so incre- <laughs> incremental. Yeah. Oh. Um, but we, will, we are going to move on to my favorite bit of the tax code, of sales taxes, in, in a second, just after I talk about Texture, which is the app for your phone or your iPad or your other device where you just have every single magazine in the world on your iPad. And it's one subscription that costs less than buying like three magazines at the newsstand. And literally, it's almost impossible to think of a magazine which is not included in texture. Um, You can get The New Yorker, you can get Vogue, you can get Men's Fitness, you can get Esquire, you can get whatever magazine you want, you can search across 
magazines to read broadly on a certain article. You can look through back issues of consumer reports to find out which kind of coffee maker you should buy. You can even look up sheets and towels to see if you should be, you know, if you should trust Felix when it comes to Boll and Branch. You can get all of this at your fingertips for a single subscription. And in fact, the cost of the subscription is nothing. If you sign up for a free trial, if you go to textured.com slash slate money, you get unrestricted access to all of the best magazines in the world for free. So go to texture.com slash slate money. Costs nothing. It's free. Okay. So my final thing that I wanted to do is is I feel like one of those stand-up comedians where you're like, did you ever notice how? And I'm... I'm I'm coming in from Europe. Um, the European Seinfeld. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the. I assure you, Felix has never once in his life worn either dad jeans or white Nikes. It just never happened. <laughs> it's it's true. Um, so yeah, I, I I come to America and I'm kind of weirded out by the idea that there isn't a, a a vat because it's just such a basic form of how we live in Europe. But then the other thing, which every single foreigner who comes to America just gets completely befuddled and confused by, is this idea where you go into a store and they're like, this thing is $9.99. And you're like, great. And you pick it up and you take it to the register and you have your $10 bill. (laughs) And then they're like, that's $10.09 or something. And you're like, what? And you have to rummage around for like extra change. And it's so confusing. They don't do that in Europe. I just they was don't in Amsterdam. Do that in and any other country. I think there are bits of Canada where they do it. But basically, this is a peculiarly American thing. The only thing I'm sad about when I go to Europe and don't see that change from, you know, 9.99 to 10.09, which is, by the way, a very small sales tax, <laughs> is that when I used to be a barista at Coffee Connection in Lexington, Massachusetts, I had a lot of fun computing everyone's tax like in your head because you're a mathematician? Head, because I'm a math I thought mathematicians were all like really bad at arithmetic. Well, I'm an exception, Felix, to many rules. <laughs> I would even tell people like, if you buy those separately, you'll save a penny in tax. I, oh that was God. my favorite trick, you know. But How, what did they look at you? I mean, did they, they were like, "Holy shit, who are you?" <laughs> so um, like rain man anyway, jokes, but yeah, it's it is really dumb, isn't it? It's super dumb. Why do we do this, I, Jordan? Why do we do this? I, I well, I mean, I know why. I mean, stores, it's pretty obvious why they do it. Go on, tell me. what. Let's let's be really obvious about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes people spend more. Cause, well, right, how does it make people spend more? When you don't, so this is, a, this is a subject called tax salience, right? When people... Uh, it it makes e- the taxes more salient. It makes the taxes more obvious, No, right? the opposite. It makes it less obvious. So here's the thing. If you just put a price of something pre-tax uh, on a shelf, right, at the grocery store, like this can of beans is $1. In real life, it's like 108 with sales tax. People think, oh, it's one dollar, and then they get to the they get to the, the checkout, and they go, oh shit, it's one away. Well, they're not going to go and put like the, the can of beans back because it's more than they <laughs> thought. They're just going to pay for the can of beans, and so what they fa- uh, and so. But, re- but surely the fact that you get this kind of weird, unexpected sticker shock every time makes the tax more salient. I always thought that the reason the Americans did this was because it was a bunch of sort of antique tax crusaders who wanted everyone to be annoyed at sales tax. Ah, no, no. It's a Republican conspiracy. No. So there's actually been research on this. I'm, I'm awkwardly holding up my laptop right now. For, <laughs> we love it when you do that. Yeah. This happens more often than you, you, you guys could ever realize out there in listener land. Um, but so I, I don't know if it was ever actually, I'm sure it was published in a journal somewhere. I'm looking at the, uh, the working paper version of this, but, 
Um, there's a paper called Salience and Taxation Theory and Evidence. And it's for some pretty well-known economist, Raj Chetty, who's like now like a superstar, um, Adam Looney, uh, good guy, Corey Croft. Um, it's for a few years ago, but they, they did an experiment at a, a store and in most of the stores, the sales tax was not dis- like the price without sales tax was displayed. And then um, in one store, they adjusted the price tags to show prices, including a seven point, you know, three, whatever percent sales tax. And the result was that sales declined like six to eight percent. Right. Because everyone thought that it was a pre-tax price. No, no, no. I think that was uh, they just we, oh, we, we oh. actually talked about so this what, when, are, we, are you... when we talked about this when we did our restaurants thing. Mm hmm episode and we were talking about how Danny Meyer is making service included in the price and the reason why that's dangerous for restaurateurs is because people are so used to seeing the lower price that when they see the higher price they, they get a sticker shot. They looked at this issue one other way where they looked at alcohol sales and they compared increases in excise taxes which we don't need to get into those basically they're invisible to consumers they happen earlier in the supply chain and retail sales taxes so the invisible sales tax the the invisible uh, excise taxes that were like packed into that pre-sale price um, uh, had a bigger effect than the sales tax. So people in I, terms of putting people it, off, in terms of putting people off. So uh, they sales declined more. So I guess yeah. But it, again, it, I'm going to so, I'm going to agree with Felix that yeah. it's really difficult to actually stage a good experiment on this because. Americans have been really like socialized. We've been trained to add a little bit of cushion onto any price that we see. It's hard to just. There are, and one yeah. of the weird things is this is not the law. Okay, anyone can set up a store where taxes are included if they want. You have this negative equilibrium where, as Jordan explains, if one store sets up the protocol that they are going to have taxes included, that just hurts that one store. So there's yeah. no incentive to do it. But there are a couple of examples of things where for random um, historical reasons, I guess, taxes are included. It's it's so weird. So one example, the most obvious example is gasoline prices. Hmm. Gasoline True. prices are all, always tax included. Another one is, I, I love this one, movie tickets. If if your movie ticket is $14, you pay $14. It's not $14 plus tax. That's and true. then you go in there and you buy your popcorn. And then that if your popcorn is $14, it's $14 plus tax. There's no real rhyme or reason <laughs> to this. Yeah, I mean, I I still feel like, you know, I mean, stores could choose to show everything, you know. Pro, pro, yeah, but, yeah. As you exp- yeah. but it's obvious yeah, why well, any they, individual yeah, store doesn't. Yeah. I just don't understand how we wound up in this situation. And, again, and why is it that... Again, only you crazy Americans do it. I, I bet it is a protest. I bet like the first store, I mean, I'm, this is a totally, I'm making this up, but the first store was like, I don't believe in taxes. I'm just going to tell you the price and then you're going to have to like pay Uncle Sam. As though, as though the tax is any less of the price that people pay than any, all of the other different components that go yeah. into it. I still think they were trying to fool people into thinking they were spending less than they ultimately would. But there are ways that other countries deal with this. Um you know, when they have a more federal system of governance, like they don't have like these, you know, little towns and states dealing with all these issues. But in Japan, for instance, they at least used to, they may have changed it, but they used to force stores to actually display display their post-VAT tax on like price tags or their post-VAT price on price tags. So you, you couldn't have some stores kind of fudging and showing the pre-tax and some right, showing right. post-tax. Consistency. Yeah. Speaking of consistency, I just have a really dumb question. I learned from my tampon tax case that like five states don't even have sales tax. And so am I, that's correct, right? Well, sales tax is, 
are not just. I mean, there, there is no federal sales tax. Yeah. Each it's up to each state whether and how much sales tax they charge. And then if you live in a place like New York City, there's more there, on there's, top of that. There's municipal sales taxes as well. Yeah. Sales taxes are not a, a very sort of devolved in this country. And so mm-hmm. they change wildly depending on which city you're in, let alone which state you're yeah, in. Yeah, so but the Ted Cruz plan, I'm sorry, I know we finished that would, segment. Would have been federal. But it would have been a federal. So that's yeah. also very different. Yeah, I mean, it kind of complicates things when you have the... the uh, one theory I've seen is that if we ever did move to a federal vet, you might see states kind of piggybacking on it. And so moving to something like they would get rid of their current retail sales tax and then kind I of see. move on to the VAT as well. Um, so Talk about regressive. Yeah. And then that would get very complicated for things like exports from different states because you'd have to deal with zeroing out different VATs. And it would, the U.S. is just not good for like, simplicity is not our strong suit. <laughs> it's just and, not, and not what, what we do well. Yeah. I mean, and it. Art Week in New York this week, all of the big art fairs, and the one of the things which just galleries get tripped up on all the time is sales tax. And in fact, Larry Gagosian, the single biggest art dealer in the world, um, wound up getting you know fined for for not charging sales tax. You can understand why you wouldn't if you're selling like a ten million dollar painting. The, neither the buyer nor the seller wants to ch- charge sales oh, yeah. tax on that. And so what he would do was he would ship the painting to his client's you know, summer house in New Jersey across the Hudson River and say, oh, well, because I'm shipping it across state borders, I don't need to charge sales tax. And then it would sit there for five minutes and then go back to the penthouse on Fifth Wait, Avenue. See, so Wait. they would do the sale, the sale in a place that has less tax. If you, if you sell a thing in New York yeah. to someone who does not live in New York, then you don't need to charge sales tax. Right. Wait, wouldn't like the idea then just to be rather than doing like the weird shipping thing, just to have a warehouse somewhere that has no sales tax and keep all of the art there? And like, wouldn't it just make sense to have an art gallery somewhere that's not New York City? Or just have the art fair somewhere where there's no taxes? Yeah, yeah, and and trust me, the art world is highly alive to these issues. And- <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why most of the art world, Wait. art in the world, lives in something called the Geneva Freeport, Wait. which is in Switzerland, <laughs> and it's just completely taxed from right. everything. Doesn't Miami have like pretty big sales taxes though? Because I know Florida, like I'm pretty sure they rely entirely on sales taxes. I, I'm always so completely befuddled and bemused by everything Florida when I'm in Florida that the percentage extra that I get charged on my cash items is not the real real thing I'm thinking about. I, I will say, however, that I feel like this protocol of adding sales tax at the till is good for one thing, which is moving us towards a more cashless economy. Because if you have to faff around with quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies and things, because you always get randomly like, you know, $11 and 26 cents, that's a pain. Whereas if you just pay that on a card, it's as easy to pay eleven dollars and twenty six cents as it is to pay twelve dollars. I have, a, I have, uh, along those lines, something to report from my trip to Amsterdam this week, which is I went into a grocery store and tried to pay with cash, and they wouldn't accept my cash. Good for them. I had to pay with my credit card. I was Good like, "Are them. you kidding me? It's a grocery store." All right. On which note, we are going to move on to my favorite consumer good. Now, okay, here's a question for you, Kathy. Yeah. yeah. Would you consider men's razors to be a medical necessity? No. 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 So they should be taxed. Right? I mean, there, I could, like, let's think to ourselves about a situation for a specific person. 
They need to shave for some reason. I'd say they're an aesthetic necessity. No, 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 that's not, no, no, no. But they're more, they're more necessary than Rogaine. Why? Hair is not bad for you. You've, right now. No, but, but wait, but it's more medically necessary. Okay. <laughs> Either way. Ka- Kathy would have me be like a beard, like a, a bushy balding. Look, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I come from a family of lumberjacks people. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> now we're understanding the biases here. So, so, okay. So we have come to the general conclusion here that if you want to be pay- if you want to be using razors because you're a nice, sophisticated gentleman like myself, then you should, you're going to have to be paying sales tax on those razors. And if you're going to be paying sales tax on those razors, you want those razors to be as cheap as possible. And if you want a good quality shave, then you also want the combination of not only cheap, but also really high quality. Yeah, so that'd be great. how do you get that? Harry's razors. They have their own factory in Germany. They make awesome razors with lots and lots of blades. And it's super close. Five blade cartridges. Comfortable shave. One million guys have already done this. So I guess that means it must be good. But no, it's not just that. We're not just following the masses here. They are actually genuinely really good razors. So what you do is you go to harrys.com, and rather than paying $32 for an eight-pack of blades, you can get them for half price. The starter set at Harry's is an amazing deal. For $15, you get a razor, you get moisturizing shave cream, you get three razor blades, and... Because you're awesome people who listen to Slate Money, Harry's will give you $5 off your first order if you use the promo code MONEY. So, pay less sales tax on your razor blades. Pay less just money overall for your razor blades. Go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, enter code MONEY at checkout, get $5 off, and be richer. Okay, I think um, we have a numbers round. Yes, I'm ready. Yeah. I, I can start. Okay. Yeah. So I actually, mine's a letter, but the letter includes numbers. It's from, it, my, the, the number is uh, $2,100. And the letter came to us uh, this week from uh, from Eric Funkhauser. Uh, he was responding, of course, last week we were talking about academic publishing mm-hmm. and the fact that they get by on all this free labor where they have this wonderful model where they ask uh, professors to do peer review for free and then they get to profit from it. So Eric was listening uh, to our episode. He said, I am an energy system, electricity market, innovation scholar, and I review articles for a few top journals in my area. This weekend, I coincidentally listened to your podcast about Elsevier's rent-seeking business model while completing my review of an article under consideration for one of their journals. Your, cur- your comments got me thinking, so I calculated the avoided cost to Elsevier using the lowest billing rate I use when contracting. Had I billed them, my invoice would be $2,100. That's just for one of three blind reviewers. And then there's the time spent by the associate and chief chief editor. My billing rate is lower than most folks in my field because I'm a social scientist rather than an engineer. So I imagine the overall avoided cost approach is $8,000 to $10,000 per article. Anyway, thank you. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Thank you, Eric, for bringing that to our attention. Uh, Again, uh, these guys get away with murder. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, okay, totally. my 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 number is nine hundred and fifty-eight million Australian dollars. Okay. Um, Wait, what's the Australian dollar compared to the American? Dollar? So that works out to roughly seven hundred and ten million okay. U.S. dollars. It's still it's a, lot. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so one of the weirder experiments out there 
in the corporate world is this company called Slater and Gordon, which is a law firm, and it's an Australian law firm. And a few years ago, they went public, and this is almost unheard of. Oh, it can't happen in the U.S. It's very, it's it's almost unheard of anywhere in the world that you can have a law firm, which has historically just been a partnership, um, you know, start selling shares in itself and going public. Um, you know, we saw what happened when all of the investment banks were used to, mm-hmm. which used to be partnerships, um, went public. That didn't end well. And so it, everyone was very interested in what would happen when Slater and Gordon went public. I Well, now we know what would happen when Slater and Gordon went, went public. This law firm, which basically just builds itself out and commits law for clients, contrived to lose $958 million in six months. Wow. How? That's their six-month loss. How? How do you... How do you do that? I like the way you say commits law. You know, like <laughs> I, know, I laughed at that. Wait, I'm I'm really confused how they did. I, that's like that's a lot of money for a law firm to yeah, lose, that, any law firm to lose that, in that amount of time. Their share price is is basically zero at this point. So let this be a lesson to all your lawyers, all you lawyers out there. It seems like it might seem like a good idea, but trust me, it, it probably isn't. Good. I'm glad they went back. <laughs> um, so my number is $9 billion. Uh, I'm talking about Puerto Rico's uh, electric authority debt. $9 prepper. billion. Dollars. Is that prepper? It is prepper. Yes. Um, that's, of course, only one-eighth of the island's total debt of $72 billion. Um, Puerto Rico, as we've talked about before, is in a huge debt crisis. What's interesting about the electric authority is that it's in enormous debt in spite of the fact that it's been accused of selling, uh, of sort of rigging the oil sales. So it's been buying terrible quality sludge, I think it's called, Probably. and pretending that it's high quality oil. And it's been like polluting the environment and hurting people around it. So, so they're made, really nasty so people. They've, you're telling me they bought lower quality oil and they were required to. And just like... Pocketed spewed, the difference. Pocketed the difference. Spewed pollutants into the environment, which by the way, this is a big problem with Puerto Rico in general. The yes. fact that their electric... Let's stop and think about this. Their electric authority is still burning oil for electricity. Like yeah. that is that is pre-modern practically at this and point. And in the meantime, they managed to get into $9 billion of debt. They still lost enough money that they landed. That's, that's disgusting and sad. It's really disgusting. But the good news is that the silly bondholdery types who lent them all that money are now going to have to take losses. And I'm so, so glad to hear that. And so that's that's just capitalism in action, right? If you lend to bad oil companies who lose money and can't pay it back, then you lose money. Do we know that? Do we know are, that yeah, they're going to lose money? I say, are they, I, I haven't been following this story too closely recently, but I don't think they're I'm any af- closer to taking a haircut at this I'm point, I'm afraid of another Argentina situation. <laughs> yeah, because this, so, uh, this is gridlock on the hill. I mean, yeah, no, that, it, this um, Puerto Rico situation is going to play out extremely slowly. Well, it's one of the things that journalists like myself have a problem with in Puerto Rico because it would be great if there was one big default and then one big resolution and you could write about the default and you could write about the resolution and then it would be over. But there are so many different entities in Puerto Rico and they're all going to wind up defaulting at different times and having different kinds of haircut and there's going to be a huge amount of litigation and this is going to go on roughly until the 12th of never. So... <laughs> There will be no resolution, but, I, but all you need to do is look at the price of these bonds to see that, no, they are not. no one is realistically expecting that the full principal and interest is going to wind up getting repaid. Mm. And what's bad for journalists is even worse for the actual people living in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I think good.
you know, whether whether or not, you know, bond haircuts are good or bad for the people living in Puerto Rico is something which we will be arguing about much more on slate money going forwards, I'm quite sure. Um, that is it for us this week. Thank you very much for listening to the Brain in a Vat episode of Slate Money. We don't only talk about sales taxes on this show, but this week, I guess it was a sales tax show. Um, so to find out about things which aren't sales taxes, subscribe to Slate Money by searching for us in the iTunes store. Uh, leave a review there. Write to us. Our email address is slatemoney at slate.com. Send little mash notes to Audrey Quinn, the producer who makes this all seem coherent. Uh, the executive producers are Steve Lichtai and Andy Bowers. And check out all of the other Panoply podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. So we'll talk to you next week on Slate Money. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, the host of the newest podcast on Panoply, Imaginary Worlds. Every other week, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, how they're created, and why we suspend our disbelief. You could start at the beginning with what makes a good origin story, whether you're applying for a job or starting out as a new superhero. You could also check out my five-part series on Star Wars, where I looked at how the evil empire became a metaphor in sports and politics, and whether Princess Leia's gold bikini is a feminist icon. Imaginary Worlds gives you the backstory behind pop culture stories and how they've changed the way we understand the real world. You can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.